Our Father God, thank you so much for your word, the Bible, uh, through which you reveal your great plan of salvation for this world, uh, a salvation promised and prophesied in the Old Testament and wonderfully fulfilled in the New with the coming of King Jesus, uh, our super saviour. Please reveal um, his glory and wonder to each one of us here today, afresh um, as your word is read and preached. And please transform us uh, for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Corinne. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it was because of joy and amazement. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed, clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Morning, everyone. What a passage. But what if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead? What if it's just a made up story? Or what if the disciples got it wrong? Or Jesus, or this guy who was proclaiming to be Jesus, wasn't really Jesus. The resurrection is a part of the Christian faith that most people find hard to believe, whether they believe in God or not. The ramifications of the resurrection being false are catastrophic. If it is not true, the Christian faith is flawed. Not just part of it, but all of it. It's all a waste of time, absolute garbage. In fact, the whole Bible would be proved to be not trustworthy, just a good story. 
everything we know of the Christian faith would be pointless, hopeless, a false religion. Even my preaching right now would be a complete waste of time. Us coming into this building and to worship God, why? What's the point? We would still be lost in sin, heading for a godless eternity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 14, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God and that he raised Christ from the dead. And from verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. We are of all people most to be pitied. Huge ramifications if it's not true. For the last few weeks since Easter, we've been looking in detail at the resurrection of Jesus and his appearances to multiple people. And today, we're going to see how one, Jesus actually proves that he is risen. Two, the resurrection proves that the Bible is fulfilled in Jesus. And three, because of Jesus' resurrection, he is the saviour of the world. Friends, the risen Jesus is the prophesied saviour. So let's get straight into it from the first section here that Jesus proves that he's risen. Now that I've raised a lot of doubts in your minds, maybe, let's, uh, let's prove that he's risen. So we look in verse 36. The disciples were together in Jerusalem, talking about the events that had just happened, how Jesus had risen and appeared to Simon and then appeared to Cleopas and another while walking on the road to Emmaus. how he opened the scriptures with them, which made their hearts fill with joy. Then how he sat at the table and broke bread with them, where they recognised him. But then he disappeared. We heard last week that these disciples went from being hopeless to having their hope rekindled because if they had an encounter with the risen Jesus. Alex preached last week and used the phrase, Sad faces to sizzling hearts. In verse, for the rest of verse 36, we see that while the disciples were talking about these things that had been happening that day, Jesus appeared, proclaiming peace. He appeared suddenly as they were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. Now, this same story is written in John chapter 20. And he said that the doors were closed and locked for the fear of the Jewish leaders. Since the authorities had executed their leader, the disciples reasonably expected that Jesus' fate could be their own. So it isn't silly that they thought that he was a ghost, since he appeared in a closed and locked room. It is their reaction was a natural reaction to the supernatural. 
Imagine talking about someone yourself, only to turn around and see them standing right there that they were listening in the whole time. It would startle you. It was one thing to believe what everyone was talking about, but then to see it suddenly would have been a fright. How would we react if we see someone we knew watching them die and be buried? Now they're buried for at least two nights. Suddenly walked up to us and started a conversation proving that they're alive. You recognise them from before they died, but you saw them dead and buried. This is what the disciples are going through. They saw Jesus dead and buried. How can he be alive? So Jesus then asks the question, asks, questions them why they are in shock and doubt. Look with me at verses 38 to 40. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus responds to their disbelief by proving that it really is him. He shows them the scars on his hands and feet from being nailed to the cross. Not only does he show, but he also gets them to touch, proving that he has a physical body and proving that they are not hallucinating. And on top of this, I don't believe that anybody had ever seen anyone survive a crucifixion. Now here's a live man coming up and showing them scars of crucifixion. No one survives being crucified. And now he's a live man showing scars of crucifixion. How amazing that would have been. Now that would have been very confronting even still to them. Verse 41, the disciples still couldn't believe it because they were overwhelmed now with joy and amazement. The reality of what they are seeing is now starting to hit. Have you, everyone here, I believe, has heard of the term, I can't believe it, when, used to, um, when something amazing happens or something miraculous. We can be so in awe and wonder at, what, at what's taken place that it takes a while to process or for reality to sink in. For example, when your sporting team comes from miles behind from the jaws of defeat and to suddenly come up and win. There's a time, I'm going to share with you a time in my life where Jess and I were in this situation, were overwhelmed by a miraculous provision from God. While I was at college, we were just, just after we were married, I was also going through court, a trial. And I may have told this story before, but I believe it's, a, it's worth telling. Um, I didn't have hex to help me at college, so I had to pay my way through. And of course, court is very expensive. Fees of the lawyers and whatnot. 
Anyway, one day I went to the letterbox, grabbed a pile of letters out of the letterbox and um, got into the car with Jess as we headed off to drive back to Victor Harbour for the weekend. And the first letter I open is a bill for the lawyers and the courts. And it's a huge bill and I'm not, not sure how I'm going to pay this because it'll take a number of weeks in order to save the money just to pay it as if we didn't buy anything else. So uh, our hearts sunk, we were in a hopeless state, didn't know what to do. So we stopped the car and we prayed and then drove off as I continued to go through the list of letters. I get to the bottom, the very last letter on the bottom of the pile, I open it up and it's from the church treasury and some anonymous person had gifted a cheque for the exact same amount of money to the dollar. It ain't no coincidence. It was uh, quite unreal, unbelievable. We couldn't believe it. Though the evidence was right there in front of us, it took quite some time to come to grips with the reality of what just took place, to comprehend what had just happened. And in the same way here, the disciples are struggling to comprehend the enormity of what is happening here. So Jesus asked for something to eat to further prove he is for real. Verse 42, the disciples give him broiled fish. Jesus eats it in their presence to further prove his physical resurrection. Not only do they see and touch him, but they now see him eat. Jesus appeared not to just one or two people here, as he had that day, but a large group, proving in so many ways his resurrection is for real. Jesus' resurrection is no coincidence or fluke. He is fulfilling prophecy, both from the Old Testament and his own predictions from before his death. This leads us into our second point, that Jesus shows he is the fulfilment of prophecy. We get to verse 44, which I believe is the key verse in this whole passage. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus goes on to say that what he is now showing them is what he was trying to tell them would happen while he was still with them. That what is written in the Old Testament about him is now being fulfilled. The law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms are the three divisions of the Hebrew Bible that they had. This indicates that there is no part of scripture, the Bible, that does not bear its witness to Jesus and his mission. Before his death, Jesus predicted his death and resurrection three times. Recorded by Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all the Gospels. In Mark chapter 9, verse 31 and 32, Jesus says to his disciples that he is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. This is before he died. 
but they didn't understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. The law of Moses. Moses wrote the book of Genesis, and we know from Genesis 12 and Genesis 22 that God twice promises Abraham a special blessing to bless the world through his offspring. And as we trace his line down, we can, he gets down all the way down to Jesus. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. And the blessing came by Jesus' death and resurrection, opening the way for all people everywhere to be saved from sin and be brought back into a relationship with God. And then we go to the prophets. And uh, I chose one from Isaiah since we are about to head into a new series in Isaiah. Isaiah 53 that predicted that Jesus' death and resurrection in great detail. How it would happen. He was pierced for our transgressions. And after suffering, he would see the light of life. And why it had to happen. He was an offering for sin to justify many. And then we go to the Psalms. Psalm 22 also predicts Jesus' death by describing what he was going to experience through death and how through it the whole world would turn to him for salvation. We move to verse 45. It says, Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Here we have proof that it is God's sovereign purpose the disciples didn't understand the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah, how he would bring his victory and reign. It was God's plan that they would understand after these things took place, not before. It is not our own intellect that helps us know the truth about God himself. and It is God who opens our understanding. Therefore we do not boast or look down on people who don't understand or believe yet. And then from verse 46, Jesus explains what the Old Testament was saying. That the Messiah will suffer, die and rise from the dead on the third day. And then from this, repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations beginning with them there in Jerusalem. Fulfilling Genesis 12, Psalm 22. In verse 47, we see the Great Commission from Matthew 28. This is how disciples are made in all nations, through the preaching of Jesus. Believe in Jesus Christ, God made flesh that he died to take the punishment for your sin against him and turn your life to follow turn your life around to follow him and his way living out the gospel to others this gospel message that we believe started there and then in Jerusalem and now the whole world will be blessed through Jesus god's promise to abraham and to david now being fulfilled and to this day, Old Testament prophecies continue to be fulfilled as we continue to preach repentance and forgiveness of sin. And people continue to be saved. 
Which leads us into our third point, that Jesus is the saviour of the world. Jesus proved that he'd risen. He proves that he is the fulfilment of prophecy. So he is the saviour of the world. Verse 48. Jesus encourages the disciples with this most exciting and humbling news, that they are witnesses of this fulfilment. They got to see firsthand the scriptures being fulfilled. Not only are they eyewitnesses of Jesus, but they are also witnesses as in deliverers of this good news, the saving message of Jesus' gospel. In John chapter 20, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Again, it is the Great Commission from Matthew 28. This event designates these disciples as bearers of the message of forgiveness. The meaning of witness here means those who live whose lives and actions testify to the worth and effect of faith. Friends, we are witnesses of our confidence in the saving work of Christ. We are witnesses of our confidence, confidence in the saving work of Christ. Verse 49, not only are they excited by what they've witnessed, but Jesus gives them another exciting promise. He's going to send them what God the Father has promised, one who will give them power from on high. And then John chapter 20 and Acts chapter 1 says that this is the Holy Spirit, God himself, our helper. You see, the risen Jesus now has the power to send the Spirit. And in Acts 2, we see this happen at Pentecost. Luke says in Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' words. From the day of Pentecost, the gospel, the saving news of Jesus, would spread across the world, saving people from every nation. The risen Jesus really is the saviour of the world. Now up to this point in Luke, all this has taken place in one day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. The story now jumps ahead and finishes 40 days later. And we know this because Luke says it in Acts 1. He says that Jesus appeared to the disciples for a period of 40 days, giving many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now remember, they, he proved himself to be alive on that first day. Now he was around for 40 days proving that he was alive to so many people. So many people. Jesus takes the disciples in verse 50 out to Bethany. Now Bethany is a little town two miles east of Jerusalem on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives. So you've got Jerusalem, Mount of Olives and then Bethany. And it was on the eastern side of Mount of Olives where this takes place. There he raised his hands and blessed them. And while he's blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. Before, 
when the resurrected Christ left them, he vanished. They didn't see where he went. But this time, they see where he goes and where he went. Ascending to heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, says that they watched Jesus go up until a cloud covered him from their sight. And as they were looking, two angels gave another encouraging promise of hope to them. This same Jesus you have seen go into heaven is coming back again in the same way you have seen him go. So not only do they see prophecies being fulfilled, but then they receive a new prophecy. And we can know for sure that this prophecy that Jesus will return will come true because all the other prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus has come true. Jesus, who declared himself to be God, then proved it by his resurrection, finished his mission on earth. Jesus' visible ascension marks the change of chapter in history. It is the consummation of Jesus' earthly work, the indication to his followers that his mission is accomplished. His work among them has ended. They can expect to never see him in the old way anymore. And in the next chapter of history, of God's story, which we are still in to this day, we are to continue the work that Christ left us to do. The disciples, in verse 52 and 53, instead of feeling sad or upset that Jesus is gone, they have great joy in their hearts because they understand Jesus' mission. They understand his plan. What else would anyone do when they receive so much exciting news so much life-changing news. Now they've met and seen the risen Lord. They understand the scriptures being fulfilled in him. They have his gospel and promised Holy Spirit and are convinced that Jesus is divine Lord. They respond in worship. They see that Jesus is worthy to be worshipped and were so full of great joy because of Christ, that all they could and wanted to do was worship. So they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. On Easter, we began this story, seeing the hopeless grief and despair that the disciples were in, Jesus' followers. The person that they thought was their conquering king was dead. no longer with them, buried. Their hopes were dashed. But the story finishes on a completely opposite note. Instead of despair, they have great joy. Instead of hopelessness, they are full of hope. They are in awe of their conquering king, their death-defeating saviour. Jesus most certainly did Rise from the dead. Paul says in Romans 4:25, "He was delivered over to death for our sins, and was raised to life 
for our justification. Without the resurrection, sin and death win. Jesus had to rise to defeat sin and death so that, that we would be made clean in God's sight. Paul, along with so many other disciples, believed this so much that he gave his life for this cause, for the good news. And like Paul, we who are Christian also have our life testimony to prove that he is risen. His life-saving and life-changing power in us. Jesus Christ, God himself, came to be the perfect sacrifice to satisfy the punishment for sin. The punishment that was death and separation from God for all sinners of all time, Jesus took on himself. But in the act of rising from the dead, he defeats sin and death for all time, something only God could do. And now everyone who believes and trusts in Jesus' death and resurrection are saved from a godless eternity of grief and despair, hopelessness, into eternity of peace and great joy. Full confidence of a great eternity. Romans 10.9 says that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be full of hope. Yes, our faith and hope are not in vain. It is in a risen Lord who is coming again, giving assurance of eternal peace with him. When he first sees the disciples in that room, he says, peace be with you. And when we believe in his death and resurrection, the Prince of Peace gives us peace for all eternity. Jesus proved that he has risen. He showed that he is the fulfilment of prophecy. And by doing so, we see that he is the saviour of the world. The risen Jesus is the prophesied saviour. Let's pray. Wow, God, how amazing you are. Encourage our hearts. Help us to see and believe and be in awe of who you are and what you did. That you did die, you were buried, and you most certainly did rise from the grave. You proved it to so many people. And we have the evidence of that right here in your word. Thank you for loving us so much that you came to die in our place. Take the punishment that we deserve. So that believing by believing in you, in your death and resurrection, you save us from our sin. You save us for all eternity.
you give us, restore to us a relationship with yourself. Your love and grace overwhelm us. Father, we love you so much. Amen. What better time than to lead into communion or the Lord's Supper, remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus rose on the first day of the week, Sunday. And from then on, believers set aside the first day of the week, Sunday, to meet together and remember the marvellous works that they'd seen. Jesus' resurrection. They met on the first day to break bread. Now, as uh, Steve said before, we meet, we break bread once a month. We are sharing the Lord's Supper once a month to remember Jesus' death and resurrection. We're going to do that now. Please read with me a prayer of confession that will come up on the screen. Almighty God, you know our hearts and nothing can be hidden from you. Be your Holy Spirit, cleanse our thoughts and desires so that we may truly love you and bring honour to your name. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whom we have forgiveness through his death and resurrection. Amen. Father, we uh, now come to share, to break bread, to share in uh, your supper, to remember and eat together because you did die and rise from the dead. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may eat the bread. And in the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he is coming again. Let's drink together. Father, we so look forward to when Jesus comes again. But until then, may we continue to remember and rejoice 
in the death and resurrection of Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have just shared the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him today. May we leave here today and not forget, but daily remember. And may his praises be on our lips always, in our conversations and in how we act around other people. Please draw others to yourself through us. May we be your hands and feet, continuing to share this great message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. Amen.